Welcome to $100 Plus Mileage, the podcast that invites you to become a part of New Hampshire's legislative process by learning about bills that can impact you. Every week, we unpack the facts, pros, and cons of legislation that might not make the news, but could still make a big difference here in the Granite State. I'm Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count. And I'm Mike Dunbar, content editor for Citizens Count. Anna, it seems like every election we read about at least one story about a polling place drama sparked by political t-shirts or other clothing. The favorite, obviously, is in 2020 when one Exeter woman made national headlines by walking into the voting booth topless after election officials said she couldn't wear in a shirt with an anti-Trump message painted on it. Which really connects to the larger debate in New Hampshire that I feel has not been in the news lately, but the fact that state law technically does not criminalize toplessness for women. It is one of the few cases where the state has said, we're going to leave this to towns, whether or not women should be allowed to walk around without shirts. <laughs> yep. There's a there's a whole podcast for another day. I'm sure we would get plenty of listens for that one. This year, the New Hampshire legislature, though, is considering HB 87, and that's a bill aimed at repealing these restrictions on political clothing at the voting booth. So the bill's sponsor is named Rep. John Potacek of Derry, and uh, he was inspired by his own personal experience at the polls with a situation like this. The uh, moderator asked him to remove a pro-Trump hat he was wearing, and he felt that his constitutional right to free speech was violated. So he went and wrote a bill about it. So why don't you tell us about it, Anna? Okay. So actually, I'll jump back in a little bit of history. So this is all related to New Hampshire's law that generally prohibits campaigning inside a voting location. So in 2016, they modified this a little bit to include specifically say it does include clothing because it was a little ambiguous whether you're looking at buttons or a t-shirt or something like that. But the goal is you don't want, you know, like when you walk into polls, you'll have that corridor where you have all the people holding their signs on either side. And so the idea is the people with the signs and the brochures and, and the hoorah, vote for my candidate, that has to stay outside. It can't be inside. And it was ambiguous what happens with clothes that you're wearing in. So 2016, they said, nope, you can't have clothes with any political message on it. But now we have HB 87. And as originally written, it would have allowed anyone to wear political clothing inside that polling location. Right. And that seems to have left a bit of a loophole, though. Yeah. So HB 87, as originally written, would apply to everyone which made no distinction between regular voters and election officials. And so you can kind of think like maybe that might, right. maybe we don't want our election officials, you know, wearing. Yeah. Like, you don't want them wearing the MAGA hat yeah. or the I'm with her t-shirt as they take your ballot. Uh, that right. It would, okay. I mean, we have enough problem trusting elections these days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the bill needed some tweaking then. Yes. So the House Election Law Committee is recommending an amendment that clarifies that election officers, observers, ballot clerks, and other officials like that still can't wear clothing that makes political advocacy statements because of the obvious potential conflict of interest. But regular voters would be allowed to wear the MAGA hat or the I'm with her t-shirt or any other political statement clothing. Right. And and just as an aside, I think this has to be the most challenging part of writing new legislation is thinking up all of these things that could go wrong. You know, it's like saying, okay, well, we're going to have a thing that says you can wear political clothing, but oh, obviously we're not talking about the officials, but you have to actually <laughs> say that or somebody will do it. 100%. I am always reminded of one of my favorite New Hampshire political stories from 2017. 
The House and Senate passed a bill that accidentally gave women a free pass for murder. Oh. So it was a, a fetal homicide bill. And the goal was that if um, you attack a woman who is pregnant and it results in her losing the baby, that there should be some sort of enhanced charges or murder, right? So once again, a whole other podcast that we could do. But what happened was it passed the House and the Senate. And then after it had done that, some analysts came forward and were like, so guys, the way this was written, it actually looks, because they were concerned they didn't want women prosecuted for miscarriages, you know? So the way it was written, they were like, okay, so you unfortunately created this loophole where women just cannot be charged with any <laughs> homicide. And we're, we're going to need to address that before it goes to Governor Sununu. Speaking of only in New Hampshire. So this bill language has been tightened up a bit now uh, for HB 87. So what reasons do proponents give for thinking it should be passed? Okay. So supporters, including the majority of the House committee that amended the bill, point to a 2018 Supreme Court decision in Minnesota that struck down a ban on political clothing at the polls. And they once again specifically cited First Amendment free speech rights. And so these supporters argue that Election Day should be an opportunity to celebrate political beliefs rather than hiding them. Right, and I guess it stands to reason that our ban on political clothing at polling locations could suffer the same fate as Minnesota's, so might as well just revise the law now. What are about the cons of this proposal? Opponents of HB 87 worry that it will weaken the intent behind the state's anti-electioneering law. So as I said earlier in the podcast, that's all about keeping campaigning outside of polling locations because you don't want voters to feel harassed or intimidated when they're actually casting their vote. So Rep. Paul Bergeron wrote a report for the minority of the committee that looked at this bill. And he said, this bill will embolden campaign activists to congregate inside the polling place wearing all sorts of campaign paraphernalia in an attempt to influence voters after they have entered the building. I just have to say that uh, electioneering always sounds like one of those made up words like that Disney uses, like uh, Imagineers, you know? It just. <laughs> yes. And yeah, and so I guess I should say for people, like electioneering basically means, I, I roughly, I would say campaigning, you know, when you're, right. you're handing it's much out the less buttons delightful and the than imagineering. and saying, vote for me. Yeah, much less delightful than. <laughs> Imagineering. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, again, it's more of those unintended consequences that we seem to be dealing with here. This one seems to have uh, really strong arguments on both sides, though. So, what should listeners do if they have an opinion about this bill? All right. Whether you think that you should be able to wear your your MAGA hat, or you think that people should leave all those messagings outside the voting booth doors, you do have an opportunity to make your voice heard. There is an upcoming public hearing on March seventh at 1 p.m. at the State House in Concord. If you can't attend in person, you can sign in online to share your opinion. Go to the legislators page, gencourt, G-E-N-C-O-U-R-T dot state dot New Hampshire dot U-S, that's N-H dot U-S, and scroll down and click the link titled Senate Remote Sign-In. So it's not a super easy form, but you'll select the date of the hearing, which is March 7th. You'll select the Senate Election Law and Municipal Affairs Committee, which is the committee that is hearing the bill. And then you'll select the bill number, HB 87. The rest of the choices let you share who you are, where you're from, and what your opinion is. Great. And I know we're supposed to be nonpartisan, but I think we can get away with saying that the Gen Court website should be less complicated than it is right now. So there's our little bit of uh, opinion segment right there. If you're challenged, uh, reach out to us. We're absolutely happy to help right. people share we their opinions. We will help. That's right. Info at citizenscount.org for that. But anyway, Anna, it's time for our Granite State trivia segment, only in New Hampshire. What have you got for us? So this 
Today, we're talking about this bill to remove restrictions, rather creating new ones. And so let's talk about another proposal to remove things. <laughs> In this case, it's a constitutional amendment that is proposed this year, CACR 21. And we've talked about doing an episode about this because it's definitely New Hampshire in so many ways. But so the constitutional amendment would get rid of the elected government position called the register of probate, because this is a position that is in the New Hampshire constitution. But the problem is, as of right now, this person has no duties. Oh, well, how do I sign up? That sounds like a great job. Um, what what did they used to do? Basically, registers of probate are in charge of preservation of files that have potential historical significance. So before 2011, the register of probate oversaw litigation related to wills, estates, trusts, and other issues in probate court. In 2011, an overhaul of the judicial system took these responsibilities and gave them instead to county clerks. So people still run for this office. It just doesn't have any actual duties associated with it. Uh, what is their platform? Like, elect me and I promise I won't do anything? <laughs> well, some candidates run on the platform that we should have a constitutional amendment to get rid of the position. Some candidates say we need to give this position more authority. It could just be people interested in, in, you know, historical significance. I will admit I have written my husband's name in for this <laughs> position because I, uh, you know, I'll go in and I'll be like, I have no idea who these people are on the ballot. But also I know right now the register of probate doesn't do anything. So uh, you never know. One day you might see my... I'll, right. If my husband ever gets magically elected to the position, I will let you know. Well, that's thoughtful. Not you know, not writing him in for president or something. You're just writing him in for a job that doesn't actually really exist. Yeah, yeah I didn't want to. I didn't want to sign him up for too much. Didn't want to speak for him too much. Right. You know, but I thought he could handle this. Very one. thoughtful. Very thoughtful. Well, for those of us who do have jobs with actual responsibilities, we better get back to it, Anna. In the meantime, you can find more information and episodes at citizenscount.org. We'd like to thank the Franklin Pierce University for producing and the Granite State News Collaborative for hosting. Our theme music is composed by Mike Dunbar. And lastly, we thank you for giving us a listen and thinking about how you can be part of what makes New Hampshire by the people for the people.